Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Why Are We Whispering? I'm really excited about today's episode for a few different reasons. One of them being this is our first ever recorded episode. So I'm very excited about that. But also because we have a friend of mine, Emma Sale, on and we're talking about the death of sex in marriages. So this is a topic every single married couple can absolutely relate to at one time or another. But for some reason, we're feeling shame and embarrassment, um, and maybe we're even feeling uncomfortable to talk to our, our partners about it. So it's a really, really interesting and important topic to top, to tackle. Also, I think if you're saying, you know, it's, we're not that couple. It's, it's not us. That's not our story. You're probably lying. Um, you're probably covering that shame up a little bit. So we want to delve into that and really unpack that, get to the crux of what that issue is and why we're so filled with shame to discuss it and talk about it out loud. But before we do, um, again, I have to say we have the illustrious Emma Sale here. She is spearheading, I guess you could say, an international movement for women and men um, in kind of getting comfortable with our sexuality. She is also the captain of Zero Fucks Given, which I absolutely (laughs) um, admire and respect and love everything about that. So before we kind of delve into what your business is, Killing Kittens, I really want to know more about the drivers behind creating this movement, Emma, and also the business as a whole. So let's start at your beginning. Wow. Well, it's great to be on Talking Sex. Love it. (laughs) it's what we do and now it's on a podcast um so do you know what it's sort of it wasn't i mean we launched um killing kittens in 2005 so we've got our 18th birthday this month and it wasn't a sort of light bulb moment of suddenly right this is going to be a business i don't you know it was never really a business to start with it was it was an anger that kind of burned in me from a little being a little girl and being a tomboy and and being really sporty and everywhere and having a real military dad and sort of it was a case of well you can't do that girl you know boys do it girls don't do it can't climb trees can't do that I played the trombone because no other girl played at school boys played the trombone apparently um and it sort of so kind of all my life was like where boys can do it I can do it um was in my head and then obviously hormones kick in and the dating world starts at university it was suddenly I was you know living with sports guys who just shagged anything they wanted to shag and girls still loved them and wanted to go out with them and there was no judgment or shame or guilt but you know god forbid that us as girls you know but i'm 46 so that was a while ago um you know 27 years ago um that you know that we that 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 guilt and shame of us having one night stands or even you know snogging loads of people was sort of was just the the judgment was so huge externally and also and also in us as girls and and the amount of times i heard guys go 
oh, you know, they're, I met a really nice girl, but they're not girlfriend material. And you'd be like, why? And they're like, oh, well, they've slept with loads of people. I'm like, what? So it's all right for you to have slept with loads of people. But, you know, that you're not a girlfriend material if you slept with you. So it was sort of this anger in me um, that just kept being fueled, I think, and then came into London and saw, you know, a bit of sexual, quite a lot of sexual harassment working in the city, doing financial PR and so And I just went, fuck it, that's it. I'm just, I just want to, you know, create. And I was quite insecure as well and body conscious shock um which you know now, now i just get naked in front of anyone to honest that ship and yeah the irony when i was single and hot in my 20s i never really did it, it was just it sort of actually just wanted to create kind of this world that i wish i could live in that was the reality that where actually it was flipped on its head that you know where women were in control they could make the first moves they could explore their sexuality without any fear of shame and judgment and and that's when killing kittens was born basically just as a real fuck you kind of anger moment of i'm just i want to create the flip world that it's kind of having just seen the barbie film it's probably quite similar <laughs> to yeah creating a world that is is the opposite of the reality and the patriarchal world that we live in when it comes to sex and shame and, and guilt. So Killing Kittens is sort of, you know, like Barbie land, really, <laughs> for, yeah. um, for sex and, and women exploring their sexuality and um, online and offline through events and also a whole big digital online community with chat rooms and dating app and workshops and all the sex ed side of things. So, yeah, that's basically what... Um, how it came to be and what it is. <laughs> and you mentioned that, you, you know, you think that we're, well, for yourself, how there is this kind of disparity between boys and girls and what boys can do and what girls can't do. Do you think that we're raising our daughters differently um, to view their sexuality differently to our sons? I think it's obviously I've got two, I've got two girls and a boy and they're all, you know, they're sort of eight, eight, six and five. So all, all close. And it is, you do have to check yourself. I find I have to check myself to not, treat them differently because there's yeah. an awesome amount I think there's a, do you know there's a generational bias in our bones <laughs> as women and mums to you know you do and you let things slide that boys do and but I think I am very conscious of it I'm very aware of it and I'm constantly really kind of pushing pushing hard on one side for the girls to really own it and not be not be ashamed of their bodies I mean they've been saying the word vagina since they were four and they yeah. own it I mean the littlest one needs to stop saying it as much as she says it <laughs> You know, we're the same. I'm a, I'm a um, massive believer in, in, in properly naming the body word, part. Though. It's a great word, though, vagina. And <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, you know, I've been pushing the girls to not think it's a seedy, dirty place and, and anything to be shameful about. And then at the same time, you know, on the on rough side, the, the boy, kind of that it's just the body part that it and also to respect and consent and boundaries and and that they're equals. And I think in our family, you know, it's a really sports family. So they all play loads of sport. And actually, you know, the girls play football and hockey. They all play the same sports and cricket. So actually, he's growing up seeing that girls can do on that side what he does. And then, yeah, if I can, you know, just get him. But, you know, one of my proud moment, my moment last term, actually, they were in in his year, year, year three, it was learning the body part and starting to do the sexual kind of, that's the, that's the penis, that's the vagina, kind of, those are breasts. Um, and the boys, apparently the teacher told me that they, the kids started laughing when she said breasts and ref swung around and went, it's just a body part. So I was like, do you know what, if that's just little things, if that can, they go out into the big boy world and grow up as adults that just respect and no consent and also know that it's just sex. 
So there is no shame, there's no guilt, and that the girls know that they can explore, you know, their sexuality and be whoever they want to be. You know, Nelly, you know my middle one. She's proper kind of half the time she's a boy, half the time she's a girl. She just wears what she wants, has really short hair. And she's like, everyone thinks I'm a boy, so I don't care. Wears things inside out, wears shoes that are on the wrong feet. She's like, I don't care. I mean, she is literally spirit personified. I just adore her. So do you think there's something in it when we're, you know, historically and currently raising our daughters, it's when we talk about sex or we start start to have the conversation about the body that we make them a little bit more private about it or we wrap it a little bit more in shame because we are subconsciously or consciously trying to protect them from the inevitable negative kind of attention that they're going to get or, you know, that the rape culture that they're going to be exposed to. So we're, we're kind of maybe subconsciously trying to protect them, but what we're actually doing is we are taking their power away from them. Yeah, and then and that seeps into their sex lives as adults where they're not yeah. um, confident in who they are because they think it's something to be quieted or shamed or, you know, protected. Yeah. And I think there, I think there's a difference and there's like the nuances of, of how you do it in, uh, they can grow up, you know, you have to teach them it's private and their boundaries. You don't just show it to everyone and anyone. And it's, you know, it's not like saying touch my nose or something. It, mm. it and, uh, that people shouldn't be in there, <laughs> in their pants. And, you know, they've, they've got, they're doing the whole pants thing at the girls at my private, can't remember what it stands for, privacy. The P-A-N-T-S stands for different words, but it's that. So knowing that it is private, but also knowing that you have the control, you can, you can say no, you can say yes, but also just doing, you know, not to rush into it. It's not a case of going saying yes when you're age 12. And that, that's, that's the thing. And, and I think porn is a big one to yeah. educate. You know, there's a massive, you know, push to, but I hate porn, hate it. And if it could just suddenly disappear, then brilliant. But what come, there are some good aspects to it. But then also, you know, there's a lot of bad stuff and, you know, a lot of what is wrong with teenage boys and the expectations on teenage girls nowadays comes from them watching porn from a really, really early age. I was saying yeah. that from an age of nine that they've got access to, to things and it's that it's teach I think it's it's co- having the conversations around it without embarrassment and you know I had when I'm fully going to when Raf hits you know when he suddenly starts talking about porn or he's, he's already saying little things I know he's got off the school playground and stuff mm-hmm. but it's just addressing it as it comes up yes that, you know, that, that isn't real sex that's like watching a James Bond film and right. the girls don't actually orgasm you know, nearly 90% of women don't orgasm through penetrative sex. So right. don't assume that just because you're shagging away that you're pleasuring a girl. So it's that, it kind of, I think it's the educating, it's the awareness and the education without shame and guilt, but whilst at, at the same time teaching them that it is private. That, so this is this is yeah. inter- this is interesting, and it's a it's a good segue into kind of what I was my next my next question for you, which is. The accessibility to porn at such a young age, which is obviously skewing men and or boys and girls perception of of what sex is and what it's supposed to look like, feel like what our bodies are supposed to look and feel like, which then obviously has a snowball effect into your adulthood and the type of sex that you're having. So do you think or are you finding with a lot of the couples that are coming on your retreats and to the parties that the women are coming in from a place of never being properly satiated sexually? And that's why the sex has dwindled out of their marriages or that perhaps they were sexually 
satiated and getting what they needed, but you know, life happens and they're just getting kind um, of bored you know, and complacent. I mean, lots of them are given the ages and stuff and the generation, you know, they, we, we get a lot of, you know, in the late thirties, forties coming, coming in who, you know, you're of that generation. Like I'm that generation that, you don't know. No one ever teaches you that our pleasure is important, or even right. teaches you kind of how how to. We have to explore that ourselves. We never got taught it. We find that out to trial and error, kind of thing, mm-hmm. of what we like and stuff. And actually, so a lot of you know, a lot of women that age, so are coming through us just divorced, or all couples that are suddenly kind of now kind of the kids are older and they're suddenly going. Well, actually, we've never really communicated properly. We've never really tried things or the women going well and now realizing in the world we live in now that actually, hang on a minute, she's entitled to have a voice in the bedroom and she's never asked for anything. And you don't know what to ask for. It's like when you're so programmed to please a man, it's kind of, how do you, how do you know what, where to start? I think that's a great point. Programmed to please a man. Absolutely. And if, if that's, if that is your programming, then how are you supposed to know what questions to ask or what conversations to spark up with your partner? Because how are you supposed to know what you like? That's really interesting. So is this what, is this kind of the premise then of the, the KK brand is women creating that safe space for women specifically to explore that. But then obviously what you don't want is to create a culture where people are exploring outside of their marriages or their partnerships. So yeah. So we really have to, they're genuine through. couples. That's the thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, you have to fully kind of verified, policy verified. And, you know, on the online community side, there are men, there are women, there are couples. But to come to one of the events, every, every woman has to be, every man has to be accompanied by a woman. So it's the women that buy the tickets and then they can invite either come as a couple or invite, if they're a single girl, they can invite a male member as a couple's ticket. So yeah. So one thing we don't, you know, we have from day one, we've never, we've had emails saying, oh, I want to, you know, I'm someone's mistress and I want to surprise them, but, you know, by buying a ticket for a KK event. I'm like, no, it's not who we are. But the irony is that if they hadn't told us, we wouldn't have known. She could have just bought a couple ticket. You know what, <laughs> so, I think that that's, yeah. I think that's a really interesting point because I think there are several conversations that I've had certainly is that there is this outside perception that there's a seediness about the organization or the parties, which really pisses me off because <laughs> it's just like, you're just ignorant. Um, and you should probably explore that a little bit more, to be honest. But what is kind of the ethos then behind the KK brand? I mean, I, I know that it's about bringing couples together rather than tearing them apart. But what do you say to people who have that perception that it's about cheating or having affairs or, you know, exploring inappropriate kinks or things like that? Well, on, on that side, it's like, you know, it's like any setup. It's like, you know, there's nothing stopping people, you know, people go to pubs, they go to bars, they go to restaurants and like, what, you're going to police the restaurants and bars and clubs for, for people that shouldn't be in there with it and they're in there with the wrong people. I mean, hotels massively encourage affairs. Yeah. <laughs> the way they operate, you know, it kind of, so it's sort of, hang on a minute, you've got all these kind of mainstream things that you all love and have huge respect for hotel brands, restaurant brands, you know, bar chains, pubs, you know, all the, all these, that's all, that's all fine and really respectful. That will never damage, you know, that isn't about affairs <laughs> and encouraging affairs and, you know, creating an environment where they can have that can happen. And then you've got a brand who absolutely, like we are completely verified verifying couples as genuine couples to have a couples account on the site and you can only buy tickets to our events if you have a genuine verified 
account on the site. So yeah. you both verified emails and you both have pictures of you together. So, but obviously there is a, you know, there's a small, there's a window that you can cheat the system. That is just, that's the world we live in. So, you know, are 100% of the couples genuine couples? Could one of them be a mistress or, a, you know, a two married people that aren't officially together? No, but also the nature of it, are they really going to risk having a couple's account with their photos on when they're not actually officially together and meant to be together in this big platform, community platform? It's right. a big risk. And also, you know, there are massive sites out there like Ashley Madison and the Analyst Encounters that are specifically for that, for affairs and and that we we're not built for that. We're not known for that. And actually ours are genuine, you know, our brand is very much genuinely there to to empower women and by default you pay empower men, empower everyone, really, right. to have no shame or guilt and own their sexuality. And, you know, now we've sort of the world we live in now, 18 years after we launched, is a very different one. So sort of, you know, everything, non-binary, transgender, the women we have within the mix. And that that's it. It's a very all-inclusive world of no shame or guilt. And the whole cheating and affairs side it's just not what it's about. And it, you never get those vibes at any any of the events, any of the setup. You don't get those vibes within the online community. It's just not what it's there for because actually their rhythm members are quite, quite you know, they're very self-policing. They police yeah. themselves, the events and their chat rooms. And, and actually, it's kind of the opposite in that you get a lot of couples coming along and they're just a bit bored. Or as I said, they, they you know, they've been sort of balls deep in, in that kid stage, you know, the first 10 years of, of kids where you're sort of in survival mode and and then you kind of come up and go actually hang on a minute I've got they're more independent they can babysit themselves they actually we can go and have get some of us us back and and you look at each other and go actually we haven't really had loads of date nights we haven't really looked at each other and really appreciated that side and so they're, they're exploring that side doing something exciting on their own as a couple which is why a lot of people come as well and then a lot of the single girls we get loads of single women that come along again in their 20s in groups to have some fun and dance around in their underwear they don't want to do anything else and then <laughs> older older ones you know late 30s 40s even 50s who have come out with divorces you know imagine and suddenly realize that hang on a minute we've had 20 years of it all being about the husband and the kids then or in controlling relationships or arranged marriages or domestic abuse situations that and they just want the power back yeah. Um, so, yeah. So you mentioned, you know, couples, let's say couples who kids are now fully grown and they're kind of relearning how to be together again and kind of looking for ways to ignite that spark again. But before you get to that point, you have to be comfortable to have the conversations with each other, um, which I think at the core of the death of sex and marriage, that's therein lies the, the core of the problem is that people are even just they're too filled with shame to even broach the subject with their partner. And so they look for outside influences to kind of satiate that rather than um, being brave enough to start that discussion again. So for couples looking to bring their sex life back to life, what kinds of discussions do you think should happen in the first instance to get that process going again? Um, I mean, like, for instance, I know that KK does workshops and retreats. So for people listening, it's not just sex parties. This is, it's a whole community of support for couples um, and their sexual development and their sexual kind of connection building. So I know a lot of the the retreats and you've got things like reprogramming toxic bonds that are founded in dating patterns and maybe learning or relearning how to be comfortable naked together again. So things that are about 
kind of fusing your partnership back together rather than just exploring different sex positions. So what do you think that that kind of initial conversation, like what advice would you give to couples who are afraid to talk to their partner about the death of sex in their marriage? I think with stuff like that and like, you know, a lot of all our stuff. And when, you know, there's other setups out there on the sex ed side of education side of things that it's online workshops online might so actually you can go to you know what let's let's get a bottle of wine and you know i've saw this thing it's quite interesting should we just you know you can sit and watch on the sofa together you know Mm -hmm. and you can go do you know what if it's dull or not interesting we can just shut the laptop at any point and that's and that's it so it's that baby steps of going actually i've seen this it just looks really interesting and quite funny or fun or you know are you up for that and it just and then it kind of opens up the conversation so you can then start the the initial conversations about it and because that's it it's communication is it kills and lack of communication is it is what kills any relationship it kills business relationships it kills sexual relationships you know it, it's not communicating all affairs happen because you don't communicate you completely know agree. completely um, agree but I think specifically with for some well not for some reason I think we touched on some of the reasons of, of the way that that we're brought up as children to kind of view our sexuality is probably the root cause of a lot of the shame that we carry with it. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So what kind of what kind of um, trends are you seeing with couples when uh, they come to your retreats or to the sex parties? Are you seeing more of women exploring their sexuality or are you seeing and men kind of being rather than participating in that, they're just kind of allowing their their wives to explore that. Are you so more women on women? Or are you seeing couples with couples? Are you uh, seeing men explore their sexuality and the spectrum of their sexuality as well? Like, what are the trends that you're seeing? A, a complete and utter mix. I mean, when it started, it was very much a lot of the girls, you know, within the couples are bi curious or bisexual, and it was sort of giving them. The opportunity to actually you know explore that side of things so you know when we first started it was quite binary you know you were straight you were yeah. gay yeah straight you were gay or or there was this bi crazy bisexual in the middle i mean now that's bisexual is fairly boring <laughs> in the yeah. in the spectrum of sexualities out there now we'll consider i don't I think we're all a little bisexual i think all women are bisexual um yeah <laughs> just, and actually science says that as well science says that um science of sexuality says that's who we are but because of the cultural societal messaging um and the way we have been brought up in the western world it kind of has completely um killed that um, yep, I reading an amazing book called Bitch, Bitches, Bitch, I think it's called. Um, it's a zoologist and it's about how actually they, science like animal, in the animal kingdom, it's completely the opposite of what you think. Really? How, well, actually the female species is the one with more desire and actually generally more promiscuous. And yeah, it's really fascinating. But that, so we're seeing, yeah, so seeing, we've always seen like the, that curiosity of women with women. And couples, the women being quite curious, so more of that. But then you have, you know, then you have the couples who, like, you know, they have the different things. It's like they got a man likes seeing, and a lot of men like seeing their wives or girlfriends, you know, being having being shagged by another guy. There's a power thing, and you know, so there's different dynamics into, and the animal, I know, other, you know, the side, you know, it's just different stuff. It's different power plays. It's different psychology. It's different. So you see all that, but then what we have seen, especially in the last sort of in the last five six years, is an increase in the men getting involved. So there's been more. We never saw man on man action in any shape or form, and then we saw a bit of a soft 
that soft a soft touch of merch, but now there's more there's definitely more of that that kind of action within couples and I think you know I think a lot of it is that again it's society that is that's allowing more to explore your sexuality to it you know it doesn't matter if you're gay as a guy doesn't matter if you're bisexual as a man it doesn't you know it's sort of so actually you've got what's been very very binary yeah um and in straight couples actually you know a lot of couples i always say there's a constantly revolving spectrum sexuality wise and you can't just suddenly you can't say right i'm literally going to be on this for the rest of my life yeah i think it, it you know it can it flows there's a thousand shades of sexuality, really. So. Agreed. And I think there is something that happens to us when we get married, where we go from being this autonomous sexual person to my sex is only allowed and my sexuality as tied to my partner, my husband mm-hmm. or my wife. So we're almost losing this sense of um, this piece of ourselves that that is our sexual autonomy, um, I don't know if I'm articulating myself that well in how I'm trying to get this across, but it's my se- my sexuality is now my sexuality with my husband or wife rather than me as an individual. Yeah, and, completely. And we need to find a way back to that or incorporate ourselves as sexual individual beings within the marriage. If that yeah, exactly. Sense. It's like you know, you and you and Sam. You know, you'd be sort of absolutely in that we are fully lesbian, and that's it. You know, and that's you know, it sort of. Um, and you know, I'm, you know, married, been married, you know, to a man for 10 years, but I always joke, I'm a joke with you. It's like, if me and Jane split up, then I, I'm pretty sure that I'll end up with a woman. It's sort yeah. of like, yeah, I've always had that curiosity. I've always had that attraction. It's kind of, I just happen to be married to a man right now. Do you now. know how many women I've heard say that? <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a whole different yeah. podcast, I feel yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah you're kind of you are it's sort of that well i'm married to a man so you're completely straight and you're you know your whole my whole sexuality involves a penis and it's like well actually you know it didn't (laughs) pre-marriage so yeah and maybe there's some things that you explored with another partner before you got married that really you know did it for you and perhaps that's not something that your current partner or your husband or wife is willing to participate in. And oh, he'd, so he'd be, he'd be happy with the women in the mix with us. That's for sure. It's bridging that gap and making sure that both parties are getting what they need. And I think um, in the majority of married couples, whether you're gay or straight or everything in between, um, I think that, you lose yourself and what you need and you're, you're focused more on, well, I think with men, a lot of the times are focused on themselves sexually mm-hmm. and the women get left behind. Probably not a, a popular uh, statement to make for mm-hmm. any of the male listeners, but you know, that's, that's the majority of the true, conversations that we're having. Also to defend, defend men, um, for rarity, um, to defend men, the, um, it kind of, you, they, they have, unless they know, they don't know, you know, so actually if yeah. they, they've been brought up and they have learned all about what play, what is sex? It's a penis and a vagina. We're ending yeah. in ejaculation. They've been, that's their sex ed. That's all they were taught on a sex ed level. They've watched porn. And again, it's all about the man kind of yeah. thing. And just doing that, just shagging is going to get the woman off. That's what they know. That's what they've learned. And, and if you don't, if someone doesn't tell them differently, 
doesn't say, well, I don't like that, I like this. So actually, uh, I kind of think women, we're our own worst enemies a lot of the time. And we we expect, even in other thing, aspects of life, we expect men to be mind readers. Mm-hmm. Like, well, they don't do this and don't do that. And I'm like, you know, what have you asked them? Have you told them? Because actually, that's the thing I know with James. I, I'm like, if I ask him to do stuff, he does it really quickly. If I sit there expecting him to be proactive and do stuff, absolutely it's not. going to happen. Gonna happen. Yeah. So that's in the same way. It's sort of you can't expect them to be mind readers and know what you like in the bedroom and unless you communicate. But again, we've been taught when you've got it in your bones that it's not about us, then why would we, you know, why would we say, well, this is what we like? Because we don't actually know what we're meant to be asking for. We don't actually know what we do like. So, you know, actually it's that exploring. That's what's good is exploring together to find out what it is what it is you do like and that's you know trying different things and just having a bit of fun (laughs) yeah and I think that that's probably one of the one of the issues with um when you've been with somebody for 10 15 20 plus years is it becomes kind of just something you know you're supposed to do to maintain a connection or whether it's rightly or wrongly I think a lot of people are like well if if I'm not fucking him then somebody else will be Mm -hmm. or her right so it's just something that, that you know that you're supposed to do. And, and it's important to, I think, reframe your sexual relationship with your partner and kind of check in with each other, you know, every, every few years or, you know, every few months, whatever works for you to just say, like, is there something we're not exploring? Is there something we're not doing? Like, what? let's open that conversation up. And like, are you satisfied with, you know, the amount of sex that we're having? Because I think that that's also an issue of contention in a lot of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think there's probably a lot of couples out there who lie. I know I've certainly sat at a, you know, a dinner party or a dinner table with couples who are like, oh, yeah, we're once a week. Bullet. Bullshit. I've <laughs> <laughs> got time for that. Once a week, come on, like <laughs> you know. So I, I, I think we need to start the conversation with, rooted in some honesty as well, and just checking in with each other. Yeah, because it's it's so easy to let it spiral into stale. I'd never understand. I, you know, I see, I would both be, you know, couples. I know school couples, and I, it's like, oh, you know, we haven't had sex for a year, and you're like, how have you let it get to that point? How? Yeah. How? You know, it's sort of. And it's it's actually not hard to reignite that spot. You have to make an effort. You know what I mean? You have to make an effort. You have to do date nights. You know what I mean? You you know you have to actually. It doesn't. It's not just going to land. You know what I mean? It's something that needs to be worked on, and yeah. you can't expect it to. And it's, and then suddenly it's like a year, two years later, and oh, he's having an affair. What bastard? And you're like, well, you haven't wanted sex for two years, and right. you're kept saying for you oh, I'm too tired I'm not interested and it's like so what you know and what but do you then think you need to get to the root cause of that if you're not interested in having sex with your husband or your wife anymore mm. you need to understand why yeah so let's start with the why and sometimes and I think in a lot of situations with couples it just gets to the point where it's like almost almost like that you know the 40 year old virgin kind of scenario where it's like well, I, I haven't done it for, I've never had sex. And now it's almost like too late to have sex <laughs> because now I've got all of this shame and, and, you know, mm-hmm. like neuroses and all of these things like tied up in, in, in the fact that I haven't had sex yet. And the same thing happens with 
couples and not wanting to have the conversation because if you've gone from one month to two months and now all of a sudden it's three years, you're going to have a whole bunch of other issues now associated with the fact that you haven't had sex when if you just ripped the Band-Aid and just did it on month three when you were in your dry spell, perhaps you wouldn't be where you are. So there's an amazing book called Mind the Gap um, and it's like bizarre, basically future proofing your your desire and um within and so any any advice any couple out there to read that but that's fascinating and in the desire front and actually we as women we will drop it with our partners quicker than the partners do actually we're the ones naturally as female um but it's very easy to feel you're not in the mood to start to actually be very in the mood within seconds Yep. So actually, sometimes it's breaking now. And I can, you know, I've got three small kids and I'm manic and it kind of, it'd be very easy to never have sex. Very easy yep. to do it. But it's that awareness that actually you have to remember what it feels like when you do have sex and that what it releases afterwards. And it does make you feel closer. So you kind of have to force yourself sometimes, you know, to, because you know that yeah, exactly that, that you know how you're going to feel and what it does for you. And what it does for you is a relationship, you feel closer. Yep. Um, I know a lot of psychology, you know, in couples therapy, because I've heard a few friends of mine who've done it and they've all been told to do the same thing, is to go away and have sex every single night for a month. You just okay. have to make have sex every night for a month. Whether you want to or not, you okay. do it. And then come back and see whether you've got, whether your relationship is as oh, doomed. Interesting. It's really interesting because it's exactly what? that. It's getting back that the connections and the hormones and the, and it's easy to not think you want it because you're stuck in a rut and mentally you're in a rut. So you don't look at each other that, so that same way because you're so, your head is so full of work and kids and stress and, you know, and everything that you just, so it forces you just to get out at that, whether you want it or not, yeah. and just see what, yeah, see how you come out at the end of that. It's like, it's like a spark plug, you know, the battery dies in a car and you'd have to like, yeah. Get those get the plugs to just spark it up again, and then when it's running, it's back running. So yeah, <laughs> interesting. And are you so going back to because um, obviously Killing Kittens is an international um, organization, and you've got operations happening all over the world. So are you seeing any um, differences between the um, membership rates or the types of sex? Um, or the difference in, in terms of like retreats or courses that people are going on in the different cities that you're in. So let's say, is it different in New York versus London? No, and do you know what? New York and, and London are, far, are fairly similar. And, and because they're, they, everything's online, all the workshops and stuff, actually, they, you know, you wherever you are in the world, you can access um, them. We're seeing what we, ha- what we have seen more of is that more of the vanilla kink, like the beginner kind of kink scene of exploring exploring more of that um Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of our events now has sort of a kind of dungeon and dominatrix kind of play area so um where they kind of show people what it's all about and all the different power plays and things you can use because again all of that role play comes into it massively and you know we do it as kids you remember, you know, we run around being pretending to be things as kids and getting all excited and and it's sort of when do we lose that play you know, that's what yeah. I said. It's like the highest form of research is play. So I think it's because of, there's a stigma yeah. associated with it for adults. So, 
um, obviously you're mentioning like dungeons and, and kind of BDSM stuff. And right away at my, like my body tenses up and I'm like, Oh God, absolutely not. That's not for me. Like I'd probably be giggling through that. Like a little, that's part yeah. of it. But do you think yeah. it's because people, um, we lose that ability to play or to role play because we associate it with negative things or we have a stigma associated with it or a shame or we think it's that having to grow up and people go more grow up that's what kids do it's a, you know we have this a societal pressure to be adults and you know this is the way adults behave and you know yeah. and it's in the same way it's like you get married so you no longer can have fun um and you yeah. know so i go out a bit and stuff and i but i see a lot of because i make myself it'd be very easy again to be knackered and go oh i haven't got the energy to go out. i don't have the energy to go out the whole time at all um like i used to but i'm like i force myself out because i know the energy i get from being out being yeah. out with adults and having fun and having me time i know how important that is that to be selfish unapologetically selfish sometimes and i think the same as in the bedroom to be unapologetically selfish like this is what i want and this is what I want to explore and I want to have fun and um rather than thinking what everyone you know having that whole well what do what does everyone expect me to do and expect me to behave and this is how I should be behaving and I can't be seen to be doing this it's sort of that fear of judgment mm-hmm. and shame for you know in, in all aspects of our life is the thing that holds everyone back from yeah. doing anything whether that's launching your own business running you know jumping off a mountain whatever you know that whole the fear of what people are going to think of you and what the societal expectations you know of what you think you should be doing yep. in life is is that's it that stops all aspects of your life and you know eradicating the shame the first is obviously the um at the crux of the issue is is the shame and so the only way to kind of eradicate it is to put a voice to it is to say it out loud is to yeah. say to your husband or your wife I'm not satisfied um, with the sex that we're having, or I'm not satisfied with the amount of sex we're having and we need to do something about it. So talking about it is definitely the first step in getting rid of the shame. And and it's some, you know, I say to the kids all the time when they talk about their fears and things that they're scared of, or they had a bad dream or anything like that. I always say, just say it out loud because their instinct is, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you what my dream was last night. And I'm like, but it scared you. So just let's talk about it. No, no, no. I don't want to talk about it. And I've explained to them time and time again, the second you say it out loud, it loses its power over you. Yeah. And I think the same thing can be applied with your marriage and talking about the sex because the fear is, you know, rejection. The fear is not being, is being misunderstood. There's the fear is that you'll be shamed for what you're about to say and all of those things. So just saying it out loud and ripping the bandaid is probably the first step in taking the sting out of it. Yeah, massively. It's like, well, I'm often being told that my inside voice should stay in my head a lot of the time. Because um, it's outside <laughs> the whole time. It get exactly that. It's like you need to get, yeah, let your inside voice out. What you, What's saying inside is, is just say it. Yeah. No shame, just say it. Yeah. And go, what's the worst thing that can happen? What is the worst thing that can happen? You know, Absolutely. You're not going to come out and say, I want to have, have sex with chickens. You don't say that kind of stuff out loud. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of within reason of like, I've actually, you know, I'd like to have more sex. Or, you know, Howard, you know, I've been thinking about this and what, what's your fantasy and what, and you can pack it up. It's not about making the other person feel bad because actually most of the time, as I said, they're not mind readers. So it's not a, a, unless it's sort of you've been trying to have sex for ages and they're always like, oh, I don't want it, I'm too tired. Um, then you can turn around and go, look, enough. This is, you know, I've been for six months now, You, what is going on? 
Well, that would be a different you know, conversation. Yeah, That's that obviously that somebody yeah. is completely checking out of the marriage at that yeah. point. So and there's, that, there's, then at that point, you go, look, I would think we should go and see someone together. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, I've absolutely loved this conversation. I love everything about killing kittens. So where can people start doing their own research maybe um, into bringing, I guess, breathing life back into their sex lives with their their spouses? Where can they check out your website um, and get more information? It's very, if you Google killing kittens, because it's got, it's got a really uncommon name. Um, that's oh, wait, well, let's talk about that name first, because I, lo- I love the origin of Killing Kittens. So tell everyone where where this started um, from. It is a cyber slang for every time you masturbate, God kills a kitten. So if you're <laughs> killing kittens, you're, you're wanking. So yeah. <laughs> Probably a drunk. really, you know, <laughs> men's failed attempt to get women not to do it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's Great. easy on there and you can join the whole online. That's the thing, you can join the whole online world for free and... And then you can, in there are big chat groups with different themes. You can join. We have like mixer chats. Um, it's all held on. We've got the other business, Wax, which is a big online social dating app that has loads of different communities. So you've got Killing Kitten, Torch Garden, loads of different like sex positive setups that all have their communities in there. So you can kind of actually join different different chat groups and listen to different live chats and, you know, without actually going into any event. So that's like, the first step is sort of join that. But if you go on to Killing Kittens and go by that, then um, you'll see it. And that's it, really. Great. And I'm going to finish this off with a question that I ask all of my guests. Obviously, the podcast is Why Are We Whispering? So can you tell us um, a time in your life where you didn't speak up, where you wanted to say something about anything and didn't feel like you could or felt fear or shame about saying anything? So when was a time that you wanted to speak up or out but didn't? And what was it? Um, oh, do you know what? As I said to you, really, there's so many. Um, early 20s working in the city, um, had loads of sexual harassment things that I could have complained about. I think, well, I mean, one of the funniest stories, which I look back at and think, is I'd been hooking up with a guy. He, I worked in a bar and was back at his house. And we had a really drunk night, the night before. And then he got up to go to work the next day. And I just stayed in bed. And he came back at two in the morning. He went, you've got to leave because my uh, my girlfriend's with me. And I'm like, well, what do you mean you've got a girlfriend? And it was like two, three in the morning. I didn't have anywhere to go. So it was an old house in North London. So I went into one of the back rooms that was being redone. And I slept inside a rolled up carpet. Um, and I could hear <laughs> them, I could hear them in the other room. And then in the morning, I got up and snuck out. And it's only, I didn't say it. It's only looking back that I think, wow. The fact that I didn't kick off and go front the girl, you know, this guy's an arsehole, just shows you that level of, I think I was only about 23, that level of like what we put up with, what we were prepared to put up with. That, you know, yeah. Yeah. So I remember the rolled up carpet really clearly. (laughs) (laughs) That is shocking. And that is not somebody that today's Emma Sill would do. I love that that growth. Yeah, the personal growth in that story is massive. I love it. Uh, well, thank you so much, Emma, for coming on. We really enjoyed having you on, and obviously, really interesting conversations. And I hope that anyone who's listening who is struggling in their marriage or in their partnership with their sex life um, checks out the Killing Kittens community because it has helped hundreds of thousands of people. So, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a review. 
You can also follow us on Instagram at Why Whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.